more about the personality, building their brand, then I, you know I, they could be right. I don't know. I just want to know. I just don't want to know about it because the, for me, their focus is the wrong thing. Their focus is themselves rather than the science or, or you, you know, the end user. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's really important. Stay away from cult. Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm your host, Steph Gaskell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan? Well, had you asked me that last Friday, Steph, I probably would have said things are great. Kids are back at school. We had 12 days, 12 (laughs) days, and we're back in lockdown again. I got 12 days of working at home during the day. It was bliss. No longer anymore. But fingers crossed that we're that the kids are back at school at the end of this week yeah uh, as was the original plan but who knows um and and for you did you make it back into the lab pre-lockdown yes yes i i did and um and i've got this participant and we've done two trials and i've got like the third one that's due this friday so i'm just like <laughs> and the crossed. window is closing in terms of when you can do it. Yeah, I, yeah, ideally, yep. So we we can extend probably for another couple of weeks or so, but um, yeah, we'll we'll see. And then and then you know already booked in participants for for the trials and for VO two. So it just means shuffling that around again. So I'm yep. yeah, we're all hoping, aren't we? That... Yeah, exactly right. Mm. Mm. Um. So here at the, at the Long Munch, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that you as runners, cyclists and triathletes um, ask and talk about in your training sessions or around the coffee table after your, your sessions. Um, and what we try to do is break it down. We invite a guest expert or practitioner um, in that particular area and then um, that's usually part A, and then part B will have a athlete or a coach uh, to add their perspective on on how they've found and dealt with that particular question that we're asking. So we have for episode six B, Alan. What's the question we're asking? Yeah. So why is nutrition so confusing? So follow up from from six A we had last week with um, Dr. Tim Crow. Yep. which was a great session around sort of, uh, you know, why nutrition is so confusing, conflicting messages, how to um, sort of figure out if, if uh, information is BS or not mm-hmm. uh, as well. So today we've got uh, the, the flip side, the, the athlete perspective, uh, and actually a man who wears many different hats. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get lots of different perspectives as well, which is great. So um, our guest today is Chris Ord. Uh, so some of you, in the, particularly in the trail running community or the adventure sport and mountain bike community might know Chris. Uh, he's been around for well over a decade now as a, a journalist in, in this kind of area. Um, also as a, a publisher, he founded Trail Run Magazine, the Australian New Zealand version of that. Uh, no longer works with with those guys, but um, he, he founded that magazine and was the publisher of that for quite a while. Um, he's worked in event management. He's a race director. Um, Oscars 100 Hut to Hut coming up this weekend if the lockdown mm. uh, is eased. Yep. I know they've already had to alter it and made it, make it a, a two-day shortened course because mm. of just 
the logistics of marking trails in the yep. time that they have up there, which is a bit of a shame, but that's yeah. that's the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's been a race director, uh, tour guide, runs sort of adventure running tours, uh, does work with, with governments and other tourism mm -hmm. boards and things like that around scouting out um, new facilities for trails, both um, running and um, mountain biking trails and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, does man. lots of different stuff and obviously, you know, does his own running in and around that and, and as part of his job. So, um, yeah, lots of different perspectives here which we'll, we'll get to hear about, which is great. So uh, if you would like to send us some questions or give us some, some feedback, uh, we are on social media. So we've got uh, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and then um, if you're interested in listening to the podcast, we are on most podcast platforms. So um, the, the big ones anyway, yeah. Spotify, yeah. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, also, we just wanted to um, take a moment to thank. Uh, we've had a couple people we wanted to give a shout out to, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. We had some some interactions on social media, which has been great, and getting some some lovely feedback from people that they've been really enjoying the podcast and and recommending it to other people. So, first one um, on Twitter, uh, Dr. Bilal Ladakh. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. I'm sorry. Um, he's yeah. a doctor over in the UK who's actually recommended it to some of these other mates there on Twitter. So, thanks so much for the the shout out, and also um, dietitian, you know well, um, Steph over in in Adelaide. Yeah. Yep. Um, Kate um, Galash um, gave us a nice shout out, recommended um, some podcasts. So thank you, Kate. Yeah, absolutely. Great to, to hear that, that people are enjoying it um, and, and enjoying the, and I think, you know, one of the things that I, you know, certainly I've heard from people, Steph, I don't know about you as well, is that people are enjoying having both the expert and the athlete perspective on the same topic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and I've found, um, I was um, talking to you before, just people from, from my running club, um, yeah, really find, really find the sessions helpful um, and actually listen to like some of the sessions three or four times as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's great to hear that feedback and any questions that people have, yeah, feel free to send them our way. Yeah, we've already had one suggestion, which we're, we're working on uh, at the moment for an episode, thanks to, to Lionel, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, if anyone else has um, specific questions that, that they want answered on the podcast, feel free to hit us up on social media and we can see what we can do. Mm. Yep. Awesome. So should we get cracking into this this episode, Alan? Yeah, I think so. I think we're all ready to go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us on the Long Munch podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me, Steph and Alan. Yeah. Um, so um, you're a runner yourself, um, but you've actually worn many hats in and around the running and adventure sport industry. Um, can you fill in the listeners, I guess, a bit more about your, your career, what you've done um, in the, the running scene over the years? Okay, yeah, so a bit of a jack of all trades, but I guess my entry into it, um, as an adult at least, was as a journalist. Um, so I 
was first of all a writer and then an editor of Adventure Magazine. So we covered mountain biking, trail running, adventure racing, paddling, that sort of thing, which obviously led to a lot of contact with athletes, endurance athletes and whatnot. And, and we had you know nutrition style articles, et cetera. So that was, I guess, my first exposure to it. Um, I was a runner as, I guess, uh, you know, back in the day, I represented Victoria in cross country at the schools. And then, like many people, I think during my adult years, I lost it to partying and, and traveling and whatnot um, and came back to trail running in particular, I guess, via the, the media. Um, my, my work as an editor, we started covering trail running and this was sort of before it was a thing in, in Australia. It was it was much more grassroots and, and sort of small. I think there was one Google group in Victoria and that was it. No Facebook groups, nothing like that. So, um, you know, I sort of got back into it and, and it was just so happened that it sparked something in me that kind of matched my old cross-country running with my love of going into the mountains and trekking. So I did a lot of trekking, a lot of, uh, you know, during my travel days overseas. Um, and I went, wow, this is great. This is my thing. This, this sort of combines all the love about getting into the wilderness uh, as well as rekindled a love for running. So my background is not as a pure runner, um, very much as a recreational runner from the adventure space where my motivations are about getting outdoors, getting into wild places, as well as pushing yourself physically. Um, and, and yeah, and then through the media, um, I eventually uh, started Trail Run Mag. So uh, I was editing an adventure magazine at the time uh, I was about to present that to my publisher at the time and I was retrenched. So I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll do this myself. So I started Trail Run Mag as a PDF, just a free giveaway, um, putting it up on old school kind of blog style sites. And then as everything progressed, Facebook and everything came along, um, I progressed that actually retrospectively into a print product. Um, and I did that for about nine years. So uh, I, I sort of helmed 30 odd editions of Trail Run magazine during which time, obviously, I had a lot of interaction with the trail running community as that grew. So by the time I became sort of print, you know, the trail running has sort of boomed in Australia, things like the then North Face and UTA, et cetera, had come along, um, Surf Coast Century, et cetera. So a lot of these events sort of started growing and became not mainstream, but but more mainstream, especially in the adventure sphere. Um, and as well as, yeah, as well as, I guess, reporting on it, um, telling stories about it, I then also participated in it just as a, as I guess, a mid-packer. Um, and I also started up a company called Tour to Trails. So Tour to Trails puts on trail running events and trail running tours guided sort of the idea was high-end trail running tours overseas and around Australia where we kind of mix uh, a bit of luxury and nice accommodation and food and wine with trail running and my favourite form of trail running, which again goes to the adventure, multi-day um, trail runs in remote and wild places. So... Um, between the media side of it and then the logistics of putting on events um, and tours and the risk side of that, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of interaction with the nutrition side, um, both in terms of people attending events saying, what should I, in terms of sponsors, so different brands, um, you know, sponsoring events in the nutrition space, um, you know, as well as what I needed to do on tours. So, um they were, I guess, my two main touch points was was publishing Trail Run Mag, which I, I no longer do. It's still alive under a, a different publisher um, and Tour to Trails, which still puts on five trail running events in Victoria and takes tours around Australia and overseas. So they're my main touchstones as well as my own thing. You know, I like doing expedition runs, so multi-day stuff where nutrition matters, probably in a, in a slightly different way to go fast stuff or even ultra 100K or 100 mile at, at a time stuff. But Definitely, nutrition matters, and we can yeah, we'll get into a few of the stories about that later on. I remember we um, we had a, a few podcasts ago where it came up around the beer miles. Um, remember Steph? I can't remember 
who we're talking to, Lewis James, maybe. And it just reminded me of, I think, one of your tours with Tour de Trails, Chris, was a, basically like a, a fell running pub crawl, if I got it right, across northern England. Yeah, so that goes from one coast to another. So it's more than a beer mile. It's a beer 340K. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it goes from pub to pub over 10 days. So current record is 50 pints over 340K. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there you go. And I'm proud or not proud to hold that record <laughs> <laughs> as the guide. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, so you sound, you sound like you're a busy man, um, which is, is good. Um, so uh, what's the day in the life of you look like? Like what's the typical day for you? Uh, madness, usually. <laughs> I have two two young daughters, so I obviously juggle parenthood in amongst that. But um, usually it's a lot of juggle. It depends when an event's coming along. So we have Oscars um, 100 Hut to Hut coming up. As I go into that, obviously your focus goes purely on an event. And we go up there a week beforehand to do trail marking and, and set the course and start all the logistics. So for events, it, it, it's very much focused on the event. That could be anything from starting to mark the trail to then setting up the registration and then obviously operating the event and managing it and doing all the risk management around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for instance, this week I'm jumping between doing trail audits. Uh, I work for a company called TRC Tourism that helps develop adventure tourism yep. and nature-based tourism. And that's across all spectrums of, of activity from walking to running to um, mountain biking, a lot of mountain bike trail stuff. Um, so, yeah, I could be writing a report. Um, I could be out assessing trails uh, and that's assessing it for, for logistics, for, you know, car parks and toilets, that sort of stuff. So it's working on the government side of developing tourism, essentially, in nature. Yep. Um, so, yeah, anything from report writing to marking trails to, um, you know, trying to work out. The, I guess the creative side is very much, um, you know, coming up with new tours or new events and, and then figuring out logistics around that as well as what a user experience is. So how can we provide someone a really good running experience, be that a tour or be that... Um, an event. So from at the moment, uh, you know, I've got a meeting later on today um, that is about some tours that we're do- hopefully going to re-establish in Bhutan and it's new t- new running tours. How do we deal with the logistics when we're way out west with the yak herders? How does the logistics around carrying gear look like? Mm. So really detailed stuff like that. Um, mm. You know, right back to at the moment I'm writing, you know, how to choose trail running shoes for um, an editor in, in the UK. So I'm still still have my hand in the journalism side to a to a lesser degree, but um, it's a real juggle uh, between things, and I'm jumping from dry government reports to to fun, you know, internet copy to creating experience and doing logistics. Sounds like lots of lots of different things to keep it interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. it does. It's it's always a mix, and I think that's I mean that's what keeps me engaged. Sometimes it's stressful in terms of meeting all the deadlines of the different, I guess, clients and events. But um, it keeps it keeps the mind ticking over. And the hard thing is actually more the physical stuff. How do how do I get enough training in um, mm. in amongst all that to be mm. able to then go and guide three hundred k across England? Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, got to um, fit that in amongst everything else. Um, so you've done a fair bit of trail running yourself. Um, what's the most, I guess, either memorable or epic trail run or run that you've you've done? Oh, I, I get asked this a bit actually on, <laughs> on a few casts, and I can never choose one. I honestly can't. I mean, you know, I'd love to say, you know, memorable. I, I love going back to England for the pub to pub run, which I guide. Yep. And there's something about that, you know, the Lakes District, there's the mountains, there's the Yorkshire Dales, but then you're also coming into villages all the time and, and then you get, you know, we're, we're exploring real English ales. So 
Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's an extreme run by any stretch, um, but it's a beautiful run. It still takes you to some wild places. So that's great. Um, yeah. Then you've got Bhutan, you know, up into the high Himalayas mm. um, and I've guided runs up there and also shot documentaries up there. And, and that's been extreme on the, the time we shot a documentary, I was helicoptered out with pulmonary edema. So oh, wow. in terms of what was the most extreme, that. either that one or suffering a tetany seizure in the middle of the Australian desert running in 50 degree heat. Yeah, um, didn't you run that with... Um... Lisa. Lisa yeah, 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 yep. So, um, so they're they're extremes in terms mm. of, I guess, negative outcomes. Mm. Um, but then, you know, other runs I've done, you know, again, running recce, running through Croatian islands. You know, again, wow. not extreme, yep. but just beautiful. My my sense of, I guess, joy um, comes from exploration. Mm. So I love it when I'm going out and and yeah, multi day in the mountains. I do like mountains. So you know, the Himalayas, the Lake District. Um, when the mountains are big or in Australia, you know, the hut-to-hut course up in the Alpine, um, that's that's what I love, you know. And I think the hut-to-hut definitely has a place in my heart. I think on the Australian mainland, I, I believe it's it's the most beautiful run yep. um, and also the most extreme, you know, technically in, in terms of the stats. But um, it's just a very special place. I think in terms of mountains, you know, we don't get the Himalayan mountains here or even the New Zealand mountains mm. um, in Australia. So in terms of wow, um, obviously Tasmania, West Coast, has a bit of the, the more extreme stuff. But um yeah, look, I think I'll, I'll say Bhutan for the hell of it, Himalayas. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, so our topic today is around this concept of, you know, why is nutrition so confusing? Uh, in, in the last episode, we, we spoke with um, Dr. Tim Crow about this. Uh, he's obviously had that experience both uh, as a, an academic, a researcher, and then someone who's worked more in the uh, communication, like science communication with the, the public as well. And uh, he had some, some great insights around that. But, uh, you know, you've obviously got your, your own perspective on this, both as you know, a runner yourself and then having to make your own choices around nutrition and what you're eating and what you're taking with you and, and all those kind of things. Uh, as a journalist in terms of, you know, writing articles or, or having other people write articles around, you know, the, the influence of advertising and, and sponsorship for events as well as that. Um, putting all of those different perspectives together, what's your own take on, on why people get so confused or, or why nutrition is so confusing? Oh, I think because it, it is inherently confusing. That's why we all get confused. And I, and I think, you know, I think one, you know, uh, social media, is, you know, obviously the access that we have to information from so many different channels um, you know, I don't think it was any different back in the day when we had five TV stations and a few radio stations and, and, you know, two different newspapers or whatever it was. You still, you know, it was probably we had less information and we, we took it on board um, a lot easier. But it was also, I guess, fact-checked a whole lot more. There was a lot more rigour behind what was being presented in, in newspapers or on the TV or, or on radio. Whereas now we have this proliferation of channels. You know, we, we each are probably engaging in at least 100 or 200 different channels every single day, you know, between who we follow on Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, we still have the traditional media as well. Um, there's so much being flung at us that how the hell do you keep up with it all? Um, and, and then you do have, you know, within those channels, you have so many letters after names, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a professional this, I'm a professional that. And again, there's not, there's probably less rigor maybe in terms of, you know, how do we decipher what's, what's the real deal? You know, how much training somebody has had, you know, are they 10 years in, in their nutrition and dietary training? And do they come from a medical background? Do they, uh, you know, people come from all sorts of, of different levels. And then the social media allows people to follow them. I mean, Pete Evans is a classic example of that right where you, you get a following um you know donald trump not nutrition but mm. people get a following right and and we lose this 
basis of fact and, and truth, you know, common truth. You know, a lot of people talk about in general, not just in nutrition, but unless, you know, how do we decipher something unless we have a, a, a ground level of truth that we all agree this is, these are the bones of the truth and now let's have an argument about it. And I think for the regular Joe, like myself, um, and I'm highly media, media critical, so I'm, I'm well read in media, I understand media, I've studied it all my life. And yet even I, you know, you just get lost in, you can go down rabbit holes of, of information and get totally confused as to who's right, who's wrong. Um, and because of, I guess, the nature of, of the medical industry and, and, and the nutrition industry, that, and I say industry very purposely, you know, industry, they're industry, people make money out of these, including the medical, let's help people get well industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all these papers that back it up. Now, if you're an average Joe and you've got a hundred channels of media and a couple of them say, well, this person's, Pete Evans is saying this based on this paper that was written by this expert. And, uh, and you look at that and you go, well, okay, it's a scientific paper, it must be true. And you've got to really, who has the time to go into mm. where's that scientific paper come from? Who's funded the scientific paper? You know, where are the biases hidden? And I think there's biases hidden in everything. So if you take that back to nutrition, such a complicated uh, topic from the beginning, as well as a very individualistic topic, right? Like, you know, nutrition is individual to, to, to each and every person based on their biology and, and their, you know, their, not, not just, um, you know, what their body can take, what their body reacts to, what their tastes are like, what their mental, you know, there's so many things that go around an individual's nutrition. Um, and we're trying to plug that into all this science that then has all its own problems to do with bias. Um, and that's not even touching on, as you mentioned, the commercial bias of the information that we receive in various media channels that we think is reputable. So for an average Joe, you know, what do we do? Where do we start? Who do we believe? Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard. Mm. Yeah. And I think something you were saying before, I think, um, that's quite interesting. You're talking about, you know, the, the fact that, you know, in the traditional sort of mainstream media sense before social media, you know, something would be presented and then that'd be debated and fact-checked. And I guess the, the quick news cycle kind of, you know, by the time that people even think to do that now, you kind of moved on to the next thing in a sense. Um, like I, I, even like looking at mainstream news today, like internet news services, you see like the stuff's just riddled with typos and, and you just feel for the journos in a sense that they must just be under so much pressure to pump out stuff so quickly and then move on to the next thing. Um, and then as a public, yeah, we don't sit down and, and take that time to kind of discuss and debate it and sort of mull it over and then come up with some conclusion from it. We just read it and take what we want from it and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, and everybody's presenting facts, right? You know, we, we look at the word fact and in the old days, a fact was something very solid. You know, we can see it, we can touch it, we can feel it. You know, it's, it's something that we all agree on. Oh, that's a fact, you know, the sky is blue on a sunny day or whatever. Whereas these days it's, you know, I mean, again, to go to Trumpism, you've got Trump saying, oh, the sky's red and, and mm. half the people believe him, even though they're looking at a blue sky, right? Mm. So, you know, you have this problem where we can all present facts. And, and as, as you just sort of said, there's no rigor and no one's, no one's checking that. There's no official body. You know, I mean, this could go into a debate about the role of government, right? And where does government sit? And, you know, you know high levels of government, low levels of government. Um, but we just, you know, we have, and we now have these organisations that come along that represent industries, right? And they present themselves as as factual and based in science. And, and yet, you know, you dig a little deep and actually they're representing the meat industry or representing the dairy industry or they're representing the, you know, the vitamins industry or whatever it might be. Um, and again, this is, I guess, 
it's capitalism, right? You know, everyone's everyone's there to make a buck, pay the bill, and, and make a bit more. And entrepreneurs and business people, and and you know, where their focus is on making money, there's they don't mind that that they kind of play with the facts. Mm. Um, and we have no policeman. We don't have, we have no fact police person, right? Mm. <laughs> Saying, well, hang on, <laughs> this is it. And there's no one go to like that. That used to be the government, right? Um, but now that doesn't necessarily exist. And even organisations that we think is like semi-government or government or there to protect the interests of all, no matter what the commercial interest is, again, you dig into most of them and there will be, you know, right down to universities who receive funding from corporates. And we think universities are, are, are bipartisan, are, you know, there's, there's no influence, but actually <laughs> they know that where they're better, their bread is buttered. And if they don't do X, Y, and Z and things get affected like that. So again, who do we believe? Yeah, and it's a really challenging one. I remember um, I remember you asking me this question at a, a running convention years ago around this sort of you know, influence of uh, commercial funding in, um, in research. And, um, and I, I can't remember exactly the response I gave at the time, but and I think you know, Steph and I plan to do a separate podcast about this, but obviously one of the issues is that research is prohibitively expensive. Um, you know, uh, uh, seemingly, you know, you can read this paper and go, oh, yeah, that was a pretty simple study. But, you know, that could be fifty or $100,000 to do that study. And so, you know, that money has to come from somewhere. So it, it's a tricky one because, you, you know, there are people that are happy to pay for it. There are people that don't want to pay for it. And, and if you want to do the research, you've got to get your money from somewhere. So it, it's a real challenge and it's, it's a real balancing act, I think, that we all face. And uh, it's something that, um, you know, Steph and I have talked a little bit about is, you know, moving forward, how do we get research funded if we don't want it to be industry funded then who is going to pay for it is it going to be mm. the athletes themselves is it going to be you know putting a tax on it you know you pay your entry for a marathon and you know five dollars of that goes to a research fund or something i don't know um there's obviously lots of different ways that that could play out but it's 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 obviously a, a pretty tricky situation and, and certainly when um you know government funding Will obviously go towards things that are you know clearly more important curing cancer or finding you know ways to prevent people getting diabetes and you know these kind of things that are that are life and death and and not um you know taking you know 10 minutes off your pb and 100 miles or something <laughs> like that you know, quite rightly they're, they're spending their money where they should yeah. uh, and yeah. even that money is um you know probably inadequate but mm. yeah, it, yeah it's a it's a certainly a, a big challenge that that we all face as, a, as an industry um yeah You've obviously worked on a, a lot of um, events, both trail races, but also, you know, mountain bike and, and multi-sport events and things over the years. I'm interested in some of the, the more bizarre nutrition beliefs or practices that you've observed standing on the sidelines of events. Mm. Yeah, look, I don't, you know, I, I hate to put anything as bizarre because I don't want to mm. cast judgment, I guess, on other people's, yeah. but let's say more interesting. And, and look, some of them are quite well known. I mean, and I don't know the name of it, you guys will, but... Uh, when when people were loading up on fat and they were just eating mm. a whole bunch of fat, mm. um, what's that one called? Or sort of yeah, you can go your keto diets, which are generally pretty high in fat. Yeah, the keto diet. And, and again, I, I'm not speaking for any place of knowledge because I don't know the ins and outs of it. But you know, I had someone on on one of my coast to coast tours who was on the keto diet, and I know a couple of others around Victoria who who have been on it. I don't know if they still are, but I always sort of scratch my head at that one. And now, don't get me wrong, they both said it's amazing, it works, etc. Um, you know, I'd never have the willpower to just sit there and eat that, and my tastes are not are not there. So. You know, I think, again, like nutrition, there's so many, I think there's probably more than one answer. I don't think nutrition can't be a blanket answer because we're all individuals and we all have different makeups from, you know, our DNA to our biology. Um, yeah, and also we all have different tastes. And, and I listen to these people talking about it and go, well, it sounds like it really works for you. It sounds like a lot of hard work and it sounds pretty 
pretty boring. I, I just I just need you know more stuff that mm. is not necessarily yeah. like that. But you know that one I thought you know I did raise an eyebrow. I go really, and you know I was thinking about that um, when I knew I was talking to you guys, and I was wondering I want to go back to those people and say Are you still on it because it sounds like it's a lot of hard work. And again, it's that going into that not fad, but definitely something new comes along. A, a science or a reports come out it gathers a following people follow it it works for some people it doesn't for others where's the science where's the right and the wrong and, and i guess at the end of the day it comes down to uh what what works for some and what doesn't for others but is there taking it back from i guess the pointy end of these very specific regimes or diets um you know I, personally, I'd like to know well, what's the base level. You know, what's that base level that we know, in essence, you know, not accounting for outliers like um, I'm allergic to X, Y, Z. But what are the base elements that we need as foundations, as athletes, or as as people out there doing endurance sports? In in you know, in my case, that we need. Um, and you know, like you know, for instance, I, I talk about even myself. I I love just real food. You know, you know, on on things. And I'm forever talking about a story in when I did my first Bhutan tour. And for that, the, the first year's logistics, we had guys would get up at 3 a.m. in the morning who were the, some of the support guys, Bhutanese, and they'd duck off at 3 a.m. and they'd set up a hot lunch, like sort of halfway through the run. And this is like four and a half thousand meters. And, and I'd love it because I'd come up and they'd have these tins of curry, like proper Bhutanese curry, you know, 15K or whatever into a run. And I'd, I thought it was the best thing ever. But then in, in uh, when I asked people at the end of the trip, you know, what would you change? They're like, ah, oh, just, I don't know about the lunch midway, Chris. Like, you don't need that. Just let us get into camp and then and then worry about it. And I was like, what? That was my favorite <laughs> thing, right? Because my superhuman power is to be able to eat Anything. and drink whatever during a run yeah. and keep going. I've had, I have beer during my runs in, yeah. in England. I've had curries during Bhutan. Good training. Um, locally, you know, I went, you know, I'd run one way to Aries Inlet and I'd have a, a kebab and I'd run back. And for me, that's not a problem. Now, for others, it is. So, you know, so is that good for me? Is that bad for me? Um, you know, fructose is another one. Fructose, you know, I love uh, baby smoothies, you know. on And for me, it's as much a mental thing as, as, a, as a nutrition thing because I love smoothies, right? So, you know, when I did um, the Oscars run where I competed against Andy, the, the owner of the event, um, you know, I got to seven odd K and and I was I chugged a couple of these smoothies and I wanted another one. And Kel Emerson, who some people might may know, sort of she was sort of running with me. She said, "No, Chris, you know, no, no, you know, fructose, you, you know, you're going to upset your stomach." And I was like, "Really? I really, really, really want it." And I didn't have it, but part of me was like, "I don't think it would have made a, a negative thing for me personally mm. because I'm me and I my stomach just has a superpower to sort of digestive stuff." But the science or whatever might say. Uh, you, you don't want fructose during a long run, Chris. Like, mm. It was interesting. We had a, our very first episode, actually, of the podcast, 1A, with um, Louise Burke. We were talking about this exact thing around the topic of low-carb diets, coming you know, back to the keto you are talking about before, and, and she was talking about the fact that there, there seems to be quite a varied response from person to person. Um, then we had episode... I'm going to say 3A, Steph, with Lewis James. Yep. Yeah, 3A, I think mm -hmm. it was, uh, around hydration. And, and the same thing, you know, he was sort of saying, well, and this is the problem with studies sometimes is that the headline is the, the average response to mm, whatever it is that you've done in your study. Variation. But you need to look at what the individuals in that study did as well. And there can be huge differences. Um, and, and that's, again, you know, Lewis said with the hydration stuff, there seems to be for some people they don't tolerate much sweat loss before performance is impaired. Some people seem to be able to cop a huge sweat loss before performance is impaired. Um, 
And that doesn't come out in any of the research. It doesn't come out in guidelines because they take the averages and apply that across the board. And I guess that's, you know, as us as practitioners, we we tend to look at it as, you know, guidelines are guidelines. They're not rules. Mm. They're not strict things. You have to do this. It's sort of like, well, this is a starting point based on the average response. And then you individualise that depending on what people do. Uh, mm. And I guess the, the main thing I'd say there, and, and you know, to your point around that individual response and, and knowing where the truth is, is if you're not sure, just experiment. You know, Try things out and see if it's going to work for you. And if it does, fantastic. And if that happens to yeah. be keto, that's fine. If it happens to be you know, um, agave syrup instead of a gel, that's fine. Like, you just try this stuff out. And if it works for you, it does. And if it doesn't, it, it doesn't. But have some yeah. sort of objective way to kind of attempt to measure what that effect is rather than just saying I tried it and yeah I reckon that worked mm. you know if you've got some sort of metric you can use to say before it was like this after it was like this is it better is it worse and you've got something to to go off rather than just gut feeling yeah I was gonna yeah add to that um the the individual variation like um I was just talking about that recently with some of the studies we're running in the area um that I'm looking at is, you know, the gut's response to exertional stress. Um, and we'll hopefully have a paper out soon in relation to that. But it's like, um, you know, someone presents, you've got a runner that's presenting with nausea um, during their racing. Um, the reason behind their nausea and their body's response, their gut's response can be completely different. So therefore your strategy that you're going to do with that in individual or those people I got should be individual based on their response um, and really the only way you're going to know some of those things um, for people if you don't do some of that trial and error is um, is go and do some of that testing um, so you know that's I guess that's just one example showing like just such huge individual variation like someone presents with nausea one athlete that we had come to our lab they had more a significant response from a um, gut um, blood flow circulatory um, perspective than another one it's more so the functional neuroendocrine perspective um, but you're not going to know that until you know, um, you can get that testing. Um, so for some people, they won't be able to get that testing. So it will be, like Alan said, a bit of, you know, trial and error. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And I think that's where the, you know, that's the importance of you guys, right? I think is, you know, you're the kind of the interpreters. Mm. You know, there's so much information out there that it's going to confuse regular Joes like me. So that's where you guys come in and, and you're that intermediary of, I, I guess, yeah, the expertise and, you know, for me, it's, I, I guess my little radar goes up when, say, someone in your field stands up and says, you know, I'm an expert in, in, in this kind of approach and they're very one or two, these are the approach and this is what I, you know, practice. My my sort of alarm bells will go up someone like that as opposed to someone in your field who says, you know, I studied, I've, I've studied all of this, I've got all the information, talk to me about where you're at and then I will choose from the library according to what I, what I feel. So it's about... That's where, you know, the knowledge you guys hold and the continuous study that you guys undertake without bias. So, you know, you're happy to look at the keto diet or look at the carb diet or the high, low, whatever it might be. Um, so that someone like, you know, I can come to you and go, well, okay, this is what I'm experiencing and, and you guys can interpret that and then just pull off, you know, from your shelf of knowledge. Um, 
you know, whatever the solution may or may not be and do your experimentation, but do it without bias. And I think that's, for me, that's the really important thing, you know, for the public um, to figure out a way to say, here's the experts who don't hold bias, you know, as, as much as that is possible. Um, you know, these are the ones who have a general knowledge across it all and can pick and choose. And then if they need to go to a specific expert because it works for you and you want to delve further down that, then they'll refer you on to an expert in that in that sort of realm because it's working for you. But, you know, that's, I think the danger again, going back to the original point was uh, people who just go to Dr. Google or nutritionist Google, um, if we still have Google in Australia for much longer, um, you know, that's the danger, you know, when we self-diagnose or we decide that, you know, keto diet's for me, yep, my mate's doing it, so I'm going to do it and and just crack on in. Um, and, and look, you know, it might work for a month or two, but then depending on your training load and what you're doing and what your aims are, then it might not continue to work for you and it can obviously be dangerous. So I think for me, the real importance is less media, more experts like yourself um, who, yeah, try not to have any bias it's just you're you're our guide yeah yeah i mean there's always going to be that uh, and i think we spoke briefly with um with tim about it is that cognitive bias like we tend to think of biases in you know dollars and capitalism and financial stuff but there's always a a cognitive bias in that you know people have a a particular idea or they're, they're promoting a particular message and that can even be based on their own research um that they, they tend to, to push that angle harder than others. And it might be subtle and they may not even be aware they're doing it because yeah. you know, we're all human. We all have some level of bias at, at some stage. Um, but, yeah, I think sometimes the bias of ideas can be just as strong as the bias of dollars uh, in a lot of cases. And, you know, Steph, you've probably seen plenty of examples of, of that throughout the industry as well. Where yeah. people sort of want to rust onto an idea, not necessarily because it makes them money, just because they want to say, yeah, I was right, or, or they don't want to admit they weren't. Um, yeah, but I think um, coming back to what you're saying before, yeah, certainly um, Dr. Google is a, is a big issue. Um, it might be Dr. Duck, Duck, Go soon, which will be yeah. a, bit of a, a bit of a mouthful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think bringing that kind of together and, and what people can do about that is, um, you know, even if you are seeking out information, uh, avoiding, you know, people promising the world you know, either, you know, one size fits all solutions that everyone will benefit from X or Y, um, or that it's this magic solution that's going to solve these these huge problems um, when, you know, nutrition can contribute to a lot of things, but it's probably not likely to, you know, if, if people are claiming that it can do what, you know, prescription drugs can do, for example, that's always a bit of a, a red flag. Um, yeah. there, there might be rare exceptions, but in the majority of cases, that would be a, a red flag and, um, and yeah, as I said, experiment for yourself and um, try to collect as objective information about the effect that whatever it is you're trying is happening and then, you know, diarise that so you've got something to go back to compare of and if it's working, great, and if it's not, try something else. Try something else, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the other problems is just, and it's a problem with all products, right, is just marketing and advertising and the power of the dollar and, you know, I mean, you know, let's, for instance, Gatorade has lots of money, right, and they go out there and they spend it. Um, and... And then a, a small backyard operator who's happened upon something that they believe works better in that hydration sort of space doesn't have that sort of reach and power and dollar. And and there are there's a large, I guess, part of the community who are not going to deep dive into the you know all the facts and figures and the studies and all that sort of stuff or what the experts are saying. They're just going to see brands and and see a, an athlete you know brandishing it on top of a rock and they go, oh, well, it works for 
works for her. So, and she knows that she's getting results. So I'm going to pick that up. And then, but there's, there's nothing behind it apart from someone's been paid to stand in a pretty picture with a bottle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have that problem of how do you reach that part of the community? And, and that, that stands for events too, right? You know, an event, let's say one of my events, um, you know, someone will come along and go, right, you know, I want to sponsor you with this and an event, you know, we're all small operators. We, we need to sort of, you know, figure out how we can make these things viable any way we can. So if someone comes along, it's it's really hard to say, well, no, because I, you know, I don't know about your product enough or, you know, and so you get all these events with products that have been put in front of people at aid stations and people have them. I mean, in some ways it's good because they're getting to experiment um, and they see if it works for them or not. But as we all know, you shouldn't go into an event and have something for the first time. You should do it in training. Yes. <laughs> and it re- but it does reduce their cost of, of being in the game as well as, as a, you know, an athlete as well. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, so it's, it's hard, you know, and I talked to some athletes, um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of athletes about, and, and also brands just about the whole, you know, ambassadorship again, being enabled by social media brands will say, well, we don't need to spend money on advertising anymore. Let's just go and put our product in front of, you know, these people who have some following and they have to tag us left, right and center and, and push their stuff. And we'll just give them a bit of free product. And that happens a lot. And I kind of talked to both brands about, maybe how they can work that relationship in a, in a more honourable way in terms of giving the athlete a bit more than just a bit of free kit and also to athletes about, you know, well, you've really got to you, you believe in in what you've been offered and I think it actually does pay you in the long term to say no to something that you don't, you wouldn't use regularly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, as we know, especially in, in trail running space, it's not exactly tennis or football or, you know, basketball. So um, if they've been offered a couple of free race entries and, and, and a bit of free kit that saves them 500 bucks a year, well, a lot of them will take it and, and just kind of either put up with it on the Instagrams and do something else on the side or, you know, or not. So, yeah. Um, it's a hard one for the general punter just following along going oh well must be must be credible because people do you know as we see with again going to extreme example the trumpism stuff people will follow yeah you know yeah absolutely uh, it's actually a pretty good segue to my next question actually because i mean obviously you know you, you've done a lot of journalism in um you know print media in particular um did you ever feel that there was sort of did you ever sort of encounter examples or hear from colleagues of examples of sort of tension around messaging between, you know, sort of articles and, and the sponsorship and advertising side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm out of it. You know, it's not, you know, I don't have the magazine anymore. But, yeah, of course, you know, like, and, and it got worse and worse and worse. So when I was publishing Trail Run Mag, for instance, at the beginning, I had, I had no commercial pressures because I was just doing it out of my backyard. And, and it was, it was what it was. And I think it, it built a bit of a community because I could do whatever the hell I wanted with it, you know, and I didn't have any of those pressures. So I could write what I wanted. I could swear in it if I wanted, I could say controversial things or not. It didn't, it didn't really matter, which is great. But by the time it got towards the end of, I guess, my tenure, um, obviously, uh, advertising had fallen off print and had gone to social media. Um, you still, because it was in print, you had a high dollar cost of A, printing it and then B, posting it. So when I was a PDF and it was free, I had, you know, I, I had the freedom because I didn't have a, it was just my time really, you know, and, and, and needing to pay some contributors, you know, here and there. Whereas um, when it was print, you got these massive costs. And so you're like, yeah, well, such and such brand has come along and said, well, they'll put in four full page ads over four editions, but 
They want to see photos of their product in the features. They want a little breakout box and they want to review. And, you know, it was obviously it's never explicitly said, oh, you know, it needs to be positive. Um, and I would always preface any deal when I was around with, we'll say what we want. Um, you know, and hand on heart, we generally did. But as you say, you know, there's there's unknown biases, you know. I would, what I would usually do is if I found something negative about a product, you can always find a positive and a negative. So if I had an advertiser, I'd be like, well, yeah, it didn't work for me because of this, this and this, but it might work for such and such because of that, that and that, you know. And I mean, shoes is an easy example because you go, well, this minimalist shoe is great for me because I love trail feel, but if you're into into hokers, um, you're not going to like them, so don't buy them, you know. Mm. And that that wouldn't necessarily offend anyone or vice versa, the same thing, right? I'd review a hoker and say, well, if you're into minimalist and full on trail feel and go fast and short, then hokers are not gonna be for you. But, so you can leave it out, there's ways and means around the messaging. But um, again, as it got to the pointy end and in a lot of other publications, you see it all the time where um, it's, yeah, it's the same brands over and over and you're not, you're not expanding out into all the options, right? Because you do go to the ones that, hey, can you invest in me so I can get this thing out and I'll put you in. Um, and another example is events, uh, event previews in that, you know, we uh, over the years, we put, keep putting in the same event previews because they're the ones that are advertising. And I'd be like, well, yeah, but we need people who are not advertising as well. We, we want to make sure that we're giving the reader this great selection of what's out there, not just this this limited selection of who's advertising. And it's the same with things like, you know, gels and, and, and nutrition and hydration. Um, and I think in most media, you'll see that. So it's either biased because of the advertising or it's biased because they're, a, you know, a social media influencer and that's what they've been given. Um, sometimes there can be less bias in that. If, if, if it's actually working for that athlete, then I guess they're being genuine and honest, um, even if they are getting the stuff for free. But how do you know, you know? Um. I think you've kind of you've kind of maybe answered some of these along the way as well. Um, but so for you personally as an athlete, um, how have you found it to kind of navigate through the fog of nutrition messages for runners? Yeah, I think a little bit of um, experimentation. You know, I think I've never had the time, and and I'm not a train spotter. Right? I, I don't d dive deep down into tunnels of stats and figures and spreadsheets and and measurement. I'm hopeless at measuring, you know. So I literally just go out and run, and if it's put in front of me, I'll I'll have a crack at it. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't think I've ever had anything that that truly doesn't work. There's probably been a couple of brands that I just weren't for me because of taste, or I just didn't feel it. And there's a couple of brands that do work for yeah. me, um, and but I mix and match. You know, I don't just go down one brand. I like, you know. Am I allowed to talk, am I allowed to say brands or you can say brands? Yeah. yeah. So well, you know, I look. I generally, you know, I'll run with V Fuel gels, right? Because they work for me. Their powders don't. You know, their their electrolyte sort of stuff don't. So I'll always have some V Fuels. I find they work for me. Get a bit sweet after a while. I'll always run with SOS hydration because it's just um, it's just the salts. I sweat a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I can't talk to you about the science behind any of this. I just know that I run on my long runs with V Fuel gels, SOS um, sachets um and tailwind yep um and and they're, now they're sort of crossing over things there you know in some to some degree but that's just what works for me and then i find it's for me it's about taste yep. um you know eventually i'll you know i can only do so many of the v fuel gels for instance or unless it's a particular flavor um tailwind i can do for a long time but uh it, it's to a point mm -hmm. Um, but I like the fact and again it's very mental i like the fact that i know i'm getting calories in as well as the hydration great mm -hmm. um 
and uh, and then you know real food you know I try and run real food as much as I can um, I'm lucky in that I have a stomach that can handle anything from muesli bars to full-blown curries in the middle of a run um, for me maybe it's it's more mental uh, than it is physical I don't know but you know like again baby food I'm always carrying baby food for, um, smoothies yep. now some people in the nutrition field will say well that's not great Chris all that fructose going in and this is the way the stomach works yep. and da, da, da. I'm like, I don't know it kind of works yeah for me. um <laughs> yeah. well I was gonna say you know and also what I find with with people and myself including is think what you have as well can change over time just purely you can get sick of it you know flavor fatigue etc there's yeah. new products that come onto the market um to add in about baby food that you're having there's nothing wrong with you having baby food just so you know that the fructose is 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 okay um it's just about um for some people um when they may have too much of a fructose load that that may upset their gut um so you know just how much at one time that that can be an issue um but it's completely okay for you and it's a real common one that ultra people do like is baby food mm. um so and yeah each individual is is very different um but um yeah, any stories that you can share of things that you've tried? Sounds like it hasn't really happened for you, but you've, you know, it has been a bit disastrous. Or maybe when you went for the, what was the pint record? Did you go <laughs> <put> after that? <laughs> no, but look, you know, again, the beer seems to go all right. I mean, it, they're, they're real English ales, right? So they're not fizzy. Yeah. Like when I'm talking beer, they're not the fizzy cold things that we have here yeah, in Australia. Okay. They're, they're more like they're not stout, yes. but they're more like they're flatter yep. and they're more flavoursome, yeah. uh, and they're all natural. There's no additives. Yep. Um, and I mean, you know, not a bad story, but the flip side is, you know, I remember the first couple of years always halfway because you come off you come off the Lake District and the Yorkshire Dales are soft and it's mountains, and then you get into this middle section where you, you come onto back lanes and so it's a little bit harder because you're you're running on some bitumen every now and then between villages. And you come in a place yep. called Richmond, which is halfway, and every year I'd get injured, um, injury that I could keep running through, um, yep. like a tendonitis or whatever in, in one of my, in my feet, and I'd, I'd get through it every year. But one year I remember I started off and ran that day out of Richmond and got to the lunch pub where we all stop and have just a bit of lunch. No one tends to have beer there apart from me. Um, but I was done. You know, I was injured. I was going to have to catch a cab to, to the thing. And so I said, like, everyone go on. They've got another guy with them, no problem. And I sat there and drowned. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a, no, I'm going to have a pint, you know. And literally when I ran into that pub, my pain was seven, eight out of ten. It was, I could not walk, right? Mm -hmm. I sat there and I felt sorry for myself and I had a pint. And I got up and I and I, got, I thought, well, I'll just walk to the main road. And the pain was, it went down to like a three and then it was a two. And then I, I ended up running the rest of that day. And the only thing I can put it down to is the pint. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I say real English ales are self to everything. Um, so have you introduced uh, them onto the aid stations of your event? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah money was legal. Um, but the bad experiences, um, no, I think every bad experience I've had has, has been for other yeah. issues like, you know, pulmonary edema yeah, or um, tetany seizures and stuff mm. like that when I've maybe thrown up or whatever. It's, it's been more like that. Mm. I think my issue's more been around the salt. I sweat I, I sweat a lot yeah. and apparently, according to one test I did, there's a lot of, I don't know the word, is it salt or electrolytes mm. or sodium? Sodium. Sodium um, is in that. Mm -hmm. So not only do I sweat a lot in terms of volume, mm. I am putting out a lot of sodium. Mm. 
Um, hence, and I think whether it, whether it's the solution or not, that's why I have the SOS on me as well, and and I just keep keep that up. Um, I tend not to do salt tabs because, um, but I do have salt on me to put on my tongue because I cramp a mm -hmm. lot, right? Or I, yep. I have in the past cramped a yep. lot. So um, for me, that was my negative experience was I remember doing shot over Moonlight Mountain Marathon in New yeah. Zealand and um, hot day, ran ran really well for the first half and then just started cramping up. And the, the only thing that got me through was a guy in front of me had some chips in his, yeah. in his backpack yeah. and he went, do you want some of that? Um, and I had the chips and it immediately let, let go of, and I'd been having salt taps, mm. but it let go of the cramp. And then a little bit further on, same thing had happened, chips. Um, and again, I don't know whether it's true or not. You know, funny, we're talking about what's true and what's mm. not, but you know, they were, there was something I read that was about the, the salt on the tongue gets it straight to, so it does the neurological yep. release. Um, so the salt tabs might be trying to do it biologically, but mm. or physiologically, but the, the salt on the tongue tells your brain, mm. Hey, you've just got salt in your system, let go yep. kind of thing yeah. to simplify it. And for me, that kind of worked. And so again, I always now run with chips yep. always yeah, or something salty. Yeah. I think that's another podcast episode, Steph. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's a, a big one to unpack. It, it's still, there's no clear answer still to yeah. this day, unfortunately. That's why you see mm. the pickle um, juice and, and everything yeah, as well. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. In there. Yep. 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 Um, so are there things, well, again, you've answered this, um, things that you're confused about with nutrition. There's, there's always going to be, there's going to be new products and. Um, yeah, I think I always get, you know, I, the, the most confusing is where the brands go head to head and, and they've got opposite supposed positions. Mm. You know, it might be a gel, mm -hmm. right? And one says, well, I'm high in yeah. uh, multidextrin or not. And, and and for a regular Joe like me, I'm like, I mean, even multidextrin, I've got no mm. idea what it is. And I, and I I don't really have an interest yeah. in knowing what it is. Yep. I, I just want to know what works and what's bad and what's yep. good. And as, as we've just spoken about, well, it depends, yeah. you know, some some fructose is bad for some people and, yeah. you know, not. So in, in depending on your load, depending on what you're doing, depending on how hydrated you are pre, all that sort of stuff. So for me, it's just that general um, confusion. And I guess that's, again, locked into the, the marketing because the the brands will tell us, no, ours is what works, not not Joe Blow's over there because they've got the different mix and that mix is just proven to be fake, you know, or, or proven to be wrong because look at this study that I can point to. And then, but at the same time, the other brand is pointing to a different study saying exactly the same thing, saying, no, that guy over there is wrong. Mm -hmm. He's he's got the wrong you know mix of X Y and Z, and so you're like, for us we're like, yeah, I don't I don't know, and I guess you want to yes you can experiment one might work and one might not or they both might, but you still kind of want to know well, is having too much of this in a, in any product bad or not? You know, are there any again foundation rules that we know too much of this pretty much for most people is bad or, you know, you need a lot of this for it to be good. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer to that, but Jesus, it'd be great to, to know it. So I just get confused with, again, that proliferation of information and, and often coming at different directions, all being able to point at something supposedly, um, you know, reliable and, and with credibility. Yeah, and I think it's a real challenge. I mean, with, with product marketing, obviously, they're all looking for a point of difference. I mean, there's so many different brands of sports drink on the market. That's just one example. You could pick any example you wanted to. So they all have to sort of try and say, why is our product better than the other 30 that are already on the market, particularly if they're, they're new to the market? And so they're trying to find some point of difference. But the reality is, I mean, it's water, a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar. There's not much room for a point of difference. Like it's it's not a product category that you're really going to get much 
point of difference. Um, mm. And so, you know, yeah, people are trying to overemphasize, you know, this one's got 10 milligrams more of this or one gram more of that. It's like, is that really going to matter? Yeah, um, probably and, and I guess that's, you know, maybe there needs to be more messaging around that is like, hey, guys, everyone's overcomplicated. Mm. You know, mm. it's what you just said, Alan. And then and then it's about flavour and, and and texture. And I mean, another example is, you know, I, I quite like the CIS product. Now, I don't know if it's good, bad or indifferent, right? But what I do like about it is it's a little bit reminds me of when I used to have jelly as a kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it's not as sickly sweet as some of the others. So sometimes, you know, again, I'll be running with all that. I'll have Tailwind as, as this core foundation. I'll have SOS. I'll have v fuel gels and i'll have some assist gels once i get sick of the v fuel and but then if i talk to you know and you know i guess um to be transparent you know tegan angel is a friend of mine and he brings v fuel in and, and sells it and i'll buy it off him and uh, and that's fine but you know he'll say oh that's this stuff chris sorry what are you doing i'm like well i don't know it works for me so you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna lug your stuff and i'm yep. gonna lug this stuff. <laughs> mm, yeah uh, but you know taking it back to what alan said well if it's both just as long as it got sugar in there a bit of water a bit of salt and whatever yep. Then it's what works yeah. for you, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think when we think about uh, particularly products during, and I'm interested to speak to you about your day to day diet in a sec, but sticking with the the you know, products that you're having during your your exercise at the moment, I mean, there's, there's really for me there's kind of three parts to to making a choice. One is the the scientific component, which is where you tend to see a lot of that point of difference kind of stuff come in. One is, as you said, Chris, is the personal preference, the flavors, the you know how you know even for gels, like I find there's a big difference personally when I try different gels of how easy it is to rip the packaging open while I'm for me riding a bike mountain biking how easy it is to open the packaging while I'm riding is different and you know some people will find brand x really easy to open and some people will find it terrible to open and even squeezing it like does the half the gel get stuck in the corners or does it come out in one pump and and again like my hands are different size to Steph's hand, we probably find different products will be easier for us to get out of the packaging. Um, so yeah, even basic stuff like like that. So yeah, there's the there's the scientific stuff, there's the personal preference stuff, and then I think that the final bit, particularly for some more of the sort of adventure sport and ultra endurance space, is the logistical mm-hmm. part. Is you know how are you going to access this stuff? Um, can you keep it cool? Can, you know, does it need to be cool? Um, yep what does it weigh, what's the packaging like to transport and all that sort of thing. So really there's kind of those three elements that have yeah. to come together um, I'd also to, say to make it work. There's a fourth element too, um, and that's the, I guess, this is you know, extending a little bit further, but the ethical element. Yeah. So nowadays we are making, you know, our purchase decisions much more based on ethics, especially in the outdoors, you know, as a, as a generalisation, outdoors, you know, adventure space it tends to be a little bit more open-minded and worried about the environment and worried about humans and all that sort of stuff as a generalisation. Mm. And um, so, you know, I think, you know, yeah, is the packaging, you know, environmentally friendly or, um, you know, is it is it vegan, is it plant-based, you know, for the growing proliferation of that? And, you know, the statistics on people who become plant-based or vegetarian is just, you know, yeah. blowing up. And, you know, I count myself as, as one of those now. So, um, so there's that other consideration too. And then I think when you take those sort of four criteria and then you have to look at what your goals are, you know, if you're trying to qualify or, you know, win a medal at an Olympics, obviously the performance element is going to be critically important to you. Whereas, you know, as you said yourself, if it's if it's for work, you know, you're going out wrecking trails and something like that, or you're just doing an event for the enjoyment of it and getting out there, then the performance aspect's not as important. So you can place more emphasis on those those personal factors. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I find that, you know, it's interesting that the pub to pub run is the longest run I do in terms of sheer kilometres and the most running 
um, day after day after day. And we do back-to-back -back marathons and, and, you know, our distances are pretty decent. But I find that's the, the easiest to run in a way because, again, we're sleeping well and we're eating really well. Real food, you know, we get in at night, we're hoeing down Yorkshire puds and, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, these days country pubs, they serve up pretty good food. So, um, you know, there's good food, there's good breakfasts, the lunches are always pretty good. You know, it's a bakery lunch or whatever it might be, but it's, it's just real food and then you're sleeping well. And I find recovery, as, as you'd know, so whether or not, you know, us having those meals and <clears throat> the beer, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it means you're well hydrated, you know, by the end of the night, you, you, you get a good sleep, you get a good breakfast and off you go and run again. And geez, it makes a big difference as opposed to say an event, you know, that you've got to run 10 days in a row um, and you're just eating aid food, you know, marathon de sabs or something like that, mm. where you just don't get that recovery. You don't get those car, the, the sorry, the calories. Um, that then, yeah, you don't recover as much and you have more nutritional issues, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested, you know, coming back to the question that, that Steph asked you before around sort of navigating all the nutrition and how that's worked out for you personally. I mean, you obviously talked about the stuff that you have during exercise, but what about the day-to-day -day eating side of things? And for you, does the exercise you do sort of play a factor in that or you don't really worry about that too much and just live your day-to-day -day life and just worry about the nutrition for exercise while you're exercising? Yeah, I think because I am an average Joe runner, I'm not at the front end. Um, I want to do my best and all that sort of stuff, but I don't tend to revolve my nutrition yeah, around uh, my running. Um, for me, I, I guess it's just calories. Am I eating enough? Cool. Am I losing weight? Am I gaining weight? Whatever it might be. Um, but even that, I don't track too much. My, my weight, you know, sort of does that. Mm. Um, so, and I love food and I love taste. Um, I have, as I mentioned, it's probably uh, a year and a half ago, um, went plant-based, mostly plant-based. Occasionally I'll, I'll um, fall over it, either a bit of chocolate or a bit of halloumi cheese. <laughs> um, and I'm a bit of a flexitarian in terms of I'm not going to make it difficult for somebody. So yeah. if there's nothing else on offer, then I'll just eat what's put in front of me. But yeah. in general, I'm plant-based and I guess... I have had a concern in terms of just in, in my own head going, I wonder if I should go and get my levels checked out or my, my current nutrition checked out. Anecdotally, um, turning to being plant-based, I think has definitely helped. I think it's definitely given me more energy. I think it's definitely helped my recovery, um, injuries notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, I think I think that uh, it's, it's definitely something that I think about, but more because I went plant-based, not because I tend to think about nutrition or whatever. I might, you know, coming leading into something big, I might be thinking, oh, am I having enough? Um, you know, what's the whole pasta-based, you know, carbo-load versus whatever the current thinking is? I've got no idea. But um, again, I, I just eat whatever's there, right, and go, well, as long as something's in me, it's going to fuel me forward. And I'm not at the pointy end, right? I think, I think it is different. Once you get to that top sort of, you know, a quarter of, of people at that, that sort of, quarter front end then maybe i understand why you start to delve down those those rabbit holes a little bit more and, and really get into it um the only time i really do is i guess on multi days you know up in the himalayas but that's again that's more about eating enough that's just calorie based am i putting enough calories in to get through the next day not are they good calories or not and generally they are good calories right like we're eating curries and stuff up in the himalayas it's good fresh food um so and i try and stay away from two minute noodles or, or the stuff that i feel is a little bit more empty something that's still got um nutritional value in it yeah but again that's still reflective of a general lifestyle i try and eat stuff with nutritional value yeah. as much as i can not that i'm an angel at all but yeah 
Yeah, and I think the um, I think it's a really great message that you had there, and and Steph, you probably see this as well with clients that you've worked with and, and athletes, is that often people are getting really stressed about trying to perfect their nutrition around their training to get a performance outcome, and it's like, well, if you're not that performance focused, why would you let that stress you out so much and occupy so much of your time and your thinking? And there, are, you know, look, there's plenty of you know age group triathletes out there that that absolutely want to optimize their performance, or it's part of their lifestyle and and that they live with their training group and things, and they want to do everything as perfectly as possible and and like the pros, and and that's absolutely fine as long as it's suited to their needs and their goals. And if you you like to live like that and and that's not a problem um but yeah i mean i think if if you're not out there to uh battle for for trophies and medals and prize money and those sorts of things you you know you don't have to worry that much about it if you don't want to you can if you want but you don't have to let it stress you out and i think that's the difference you know you're not talking to a i guess a type a personality with me um you know i like to create things and make things and have experiences um, and I like to do the best I can. So if I'm out there, I'm competing against myself. I want to do the, the fastest I can do, but I'm very rarely, if ever, you know, trying to beat someone or, or, or whatever that, you know, get on any kind of podium. So I also recognize that those people who are will have a different perspective to me and that at their point in that it may come into play, obviously, but yeah. All right. Well, one more question before I hand over to Steph for the bonus round. Uh, in our last episode with Tim, we discussed, I guess, developing a good BS detector around information that could be potentially confusing. Uh, we, we sort of talked about that in, in bits and pieces, but is there anything that you feel you, you want to add to that or um, stories about you know how you've developed your own BS detector, I guess, over time? Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking to a, a someone who comes from a media background, so I'm skeptical of everything, <laughs> and I ask questions of everything. Um, so you know, I, I think my my thing is usually it's bullshit until it's proven otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and specifically if it's overtly advertising, I just ref- I don't I just don't believe it until proven otherwise. Yeah, that's my that's the way I operate. Um, but you know, you can listen to other people, obviously. So I do listen to other people, what works for other people. And then it's down to experimentation. As you said, I'll go and try something on someone's recommendation, but I won't necessarily think, Hey, it's, it's the magic bullet. And I don't think that there's a magic bullet for anything in life, nutrition or, or elsewise, right? You know, it's, it's about cherry picking. Um, and it's about questioning sources. And I think more and more importantly, these days with social media, as we've spoken about, um, it, it, that it's bullshit until proven otherwise with, with social media, it just, that should be your starting point, I think, um, unless it's, you know, a super, super, super credible, credible source. But I mean, you, you look at all the other issues floating around the world from, you know, all the COVID stuff and, and the Trump stuff and everything else and all the misinformation and, and all of them quote scientific facts. I mean, you see it with the COVID thing at the moment and, and people who are either pro-vax, anti-vax or whatever, and they are all quoting studies and they're all cherry picking other bits of, news information that says, look, see, this proves my point of view, Mm. Um, but does it? So it's just like, well, it sounds as though it could be credible, but I'm going to say, I'm going to call bullshit until, um, you know, somehow I can prove it. And that's the quandary, isn't it? How the hell with, we're all time limited, et cetera. How do we really delve to the bottom? So for me, I'm like, well, an apple off a tree, I'm good with that. (laughs) Um, You know, but even that, you know, has it got pesticides on it? I don't know. it's it's super hard. So um, I think that's that's my experience, and and then I'm like everyone else. I get I, I get confused with all the information that's out there, and um, and so then it comes down to well, what works for me, and what what am I happy with ethically, 
um, yep. and and what can I and what makes logical sense, right? So if I can have a piece of fruit that says non-pesticide versus a piece of fruit that says pesticide, I'm going to go the piece that says non non-pesticide. Now they they could be lying to me as well, like you know who knows, you know organic versus non-organic. You know how do you know you don't? You might be paying five bucks more because it's got a label on it, but um, I'd rather you know still err on the side of, of, of that caution where if it's wrong, it's not going to hurt me any more than the other option. If I have a piece of fruit that says it's pesticide free, um, that happens not to be, well, it's no worse eating that than it is eating the one that, that has got pesticides on it, is it? Right? Yeah. But I, I'm upping my chance that I'm eating a non-pesticide. So that's kind of my approach if you broaden that to any, anything else. Yeah. Um, use logic. You know, I think people don't use logic enough. Mm. Common sense is surprisingly uncommon. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and, and stay away from from trends, you know, like influences and all that sort of stuff. Just question it all. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and Tim, you know, very much the same. You know, he talked about, you know, even if you look at all those different fad diets and things, there's often a, a, an element of commonality amongst all of them, and it's usually, you know, fruit and vegetables are probably going to be a good thing. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. And if it's personality based, be super skeptical. I mean, I guess Pete Evans is classic of that and a whole bunch of us if it's person if it's more about the personality building their brand then uh, you know I, they could be right i don't know i just want to know i just don't want to know about it because the for me their focus is the wrong thing their focus is themselves rather than the science or, or you you know the end user um you know i think that's that's really important stay away from cult <laughs> yeah All right, I'll hand over to Steph for the bonus round to finish yeah, off. Yeah, so um, this is just the bit where listeners get to know a little bit more about you, Chris, um, I guess outside of running as well. Um, so if you could do anything besides what you're doing now, which is a lot of things, um, <laughs> what would it be? Would it be just totally different? Um, or So we had Louise Burke on who's... Um, works in in sports nutrition and scientist and for her it was scooting off to new york and was it working in a clothes shop or running a dress yeah, shop yeah. yeah so it right. can be quite wow. you know out there well look i'm i'm i guess lucky and work my way into a spot where i do mm -hmm. what i love um i'm never going to be rich yep. but geez i love what i do i mean there's bad things to every job so i love what i do so the answer is kind of like no I'm, I'm happy doing what i'm doing i wish it could be a little bit more i could spend more time getting things right rather than juggling the balls and rushing from one to the other um but the, there's probably two things one thing that i'd love to do that i never got to do that i can never do now is be a war correspondent oh, yeah. um I think I kind of went through school and wanted to be a pilot to begin with, but I'm slightly colorblind. Yeah, okay. yep. So I wasted a lot of years after that because I had nothing but planes on my wall. I was going to be a pilot. That was it. When that dream was dashed, I didn't know what to do and I was a bit lost for, for 10, 15 mm -hmm. years. Um, in that, uh, the only other thing I enjoyed was journalism, wanted to be a war correspondent. Uh, kids came along. You, you can't do those yeah. two things. <laughs> um, so that was kind of, so yeah, war correspondence one. And the other would be, which I still do a bit of, is documentary storyteller. So... Um, I've, I've sort of dabbled in a little bit of documentary stuff myself and for other directors, um, but also I currently work with a guy called Bo Miles, um, working on his documentaries, um, and it's great because he's he's front of camera and he's amazing at it. I'm behind camera, um, and I'm happy to sort of work with the storytelling and shooting that stuff. So again, that's what I do, be a documentary storyteller, but I'm kind of doing it in part at the moment anyway. Have you ever looked at a can of beans the same again? <laughs> no, well, funnily enough, as a plant-based person, I don't like those kinds of beans there's no way i could have done what he did <laughs> so for, for the listeners who, who don't know bo he's, he's got his documentary where he 
correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, he ate nothing but beans for, was it 40 days or a month or something? Yeah, like it was literally just beans, every, that's the only thing that went in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. The only type. And uh, and then he finished his last day. It was actually at one of my events, the Warburton Trail Fest, and he ran the 50-kilometre uh, ultra. And That's that was right. his last run. And he did that, still powered on beans. And then as soon as he finished, I think he went out and ate, ate anything else. But, yeah, it's, it's a good little film. Check it out on uh, on Bo Miles' um, YouTube channel. It's it's quite funny. But it comes from an interesting place where he got the concept for that idea. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, one place or event on your running bucket list? I think, look, I'm, I'm, although I run events, as in I put them on, um, I'm not a huge, I like adventure running. So all my dreams are around adventure runs and I've got some plan for like, you know, Vanuatu and South America, places like that. But I think if, if I had to say an event, Hard Rock does actually appeal to me. Um, Milers, you know, whether or not that super appeals to me, I'm not sure because I'm more multi-day, but Hard Rock, just the culture. Again, I'm, I like story. I'm a journalist. I love story. I love I love the vibe around hard rock and the story around hard rock, which is an ultra um, in America, um, very grassroots, uh, hard to get into. Um, that or an adventure race in Patagonia, as I as I sort of, my girls grow up and I'll hopefully one day have a bit more time, I want to do some adventure racing. Um, and so any sort of adventure race in, um, in Patagonia. Uh, and myself and my partner at the moment are still looking at just running end to end, Lara Pinta, although my injury is currently playing uh, havoc with that but uh she's on track to um to have a have a crack at that so yeah yeah awesome and i think we know the answer to this one but um <laughs> favorite post-run beverage it seems it's during run as well <laughs> okay so it has to be beer but english ale not just any of it. it's either english ale yep. uh, real english ale or a stout so yeah dark. nice Dark stout, that's, and that's pretty much all I drink. Other than that, I drink wine, and 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 so I could add to that or a gin. I quite like my gin. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and if I had to go, if you had to say, well, what about a non-alcoholic drink? Uh, apple cider, non-alcoholic apple cider. Yep. Um, yep. Or for a little bit of a, the mental um, nostalgia, do you remember Portello or Sarsaparilla? Oh yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Tarax or whatever it is. Yeah, just sweet as hell, like packed full of bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Give it to you. Um, is there another sport which you've always wanted to do, but you've kind of never had the chance, or just didn't? didn't yeah, I think. Uh, well, adventure racing I mentioned, and I've done, yeah. I've dabbled in a little bit, but I'd like to do it more because I, I mountain bike as well. I like paddling. Um, and if if just a, a separate sport, which again I dabbled in very very briefly, but never got anywhere with it, and it takes a lot of time, is, is whitewater kayaking. Dangerous yeah. as hell, and yeah. I think I'd probably be scared witless to yeah. go and do it now but if you're in the big rapids but it's always fascinating to me um whitewater paddling again it's for me it's always about going wild and getting as deep into the wilderness as you can so whitewater kayaking does that yeah um, as does adventure racing so yeah yep and one thing about life um that you wish you realized earlier in your life or you know a key message um for listeners that you've kind of gotten a lot out of yeah, I think, look, I learned way too late, which was follow your passion and follow your gut instinct. Um, I, I wasted a lot of years, you know, doing silly things because I was a bit lost um, and I didn't follow my gut. And whenever I didn't follow my gut and my passion, importantly, um, I got lost. And uh, as soon as I started following a passion, you know, when I started something called the Travel Rag, which was an online traveling well, tra website before Facebook, before blogs, before any of that, that was where things 
changed for me and I started to jump into journalism and all that sort of stuff. And and then when I took that and just kept going down the adventure route, then it slowly it kind of came across. So everything I do now is a result of too late, but finally making a decision to follow a passion. Um, and the other thing that I'm still learning, and I'll credit Jess Douglas, uh, the mountain biker here, um, who's an incredible inspiration with, with her fortitude, but she always talks about the one percenters um, all the little things. And I think that not just in sport, because I'm hopeless at doing the one percenters when it comes to even running and doing the, the stretches and all the little one percenters, she's great at it. Um, but just in life, you know, um, with your friends, with your relationships, with your family, with your kids. And again, I'm learning too late, um, well, not never too late, but I'm learning later in life that what things kind of matter, you know, and image and ego and, and all the junk that goes along and all these worries and anxieties we have as a younger person. Man, I just wish I had to shed them way, way earlier and got on with life and got on with following passion and and dipping into the one percenters um, in terms of, of you know the people around you, especially. Yep, yep. And last one, what's one thing you can't live without when you're traveling? Um, you know, for for work, what's one thing you've always got to have with you? Coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, super good easy one. i'm a yeah. coffee snob from way back so yeah coffee coffee yeah, yeah good coffee i can't clarify good coffee <laughs> hence why you have to take it with you yeah although i'll change that answer if it's post about 2 p.m then it's good red wine yep <laughs> yep good one how do you coffee go finding that in Bhutan? uh you you know what in uh um, where we fly into in the capital, well, not the capital, but where we fly into, there's actually, you can get Australian red wine <laughs> in a place called Paro, which is where you fly into. And I remember one of our tours, we actually hid a bottle away. And when we got over the highest pass, we were in this, you know, it was snowing and it was cold, it was expedition style stuff. And we ripped out this bottle of Australian red wine between like about 10 of us. So it was like a yep. tiny little nip of red wine each. Yeah. Um, it was, I can't remember what the brand was, but it tasted damn good at four and a half thousand meters. <laughs> You'd be surprised at where you can find Australian red wine. It's, uh, it's incredible. Cause I do go looking if I'm in remote places. Um, what I can warn you away from is Bolivian red wine. Uh, we had some Bolivian red wine out, out in the Salada Uni at one point many years ago. And no oh, good. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to the Bolivian wine industry, but you've got to lift your game a bit. <laughs> they might have. In the intervening years, they may have already lifted their game. <laughs> All right. Well, always a pleasure to chat, Chris. Great to catch up with you. It's been a while since uh, since I caught up with you and probably the yeah. same with Steph. So th thanks okay. very much for your, for your contribution to the podcast. Hopefully that's been really helpful for people. And, um, yeah, take care and uh, enjoy. It sounds like you've got Oscars coming up, so part of your favourite part, places. Yep. All good. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the chat. Sorry I, uh, I wobble on a bit, but there you go. All right. Great to have Chris Ord on the podcast. Um, and I think refreshing, Steph, um, you know, we've had quite a few athletes on the podcast, but, um, you know, very much, uh, you know, Olympians, aspiring Olympians, people who've done world championships and these sort of events. Um, but, you know, obviously Chris, by, you know, his own admission is, is – you know, he doesn't have those kind of aspirations. Um, he's, his running is, is more recreational, but also for his job. So great to have all those different perspectives, but also someone who's not necessarily in that, you know, top few percent uh, in terms of, you know, runners, cyclists and triathletes as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, we learned a lot from Chris and he's, yeah, got, got a wealth of knowledge. Um, 
due to you know his broad background as well so I think some of the the key things I guess um that I'd sort of take from from this episode is that <clears throat> be weary of really big broad um statements or where they're kind of I guess in a way might seem like there's a bit of a cult um following to a particular topic um I think always try and investigate you know whatever it is um uh, thoroughly yourself um just because you know particular group of followers are, are doing something doesn't mean it's necessarily right for you um and then yeah be, be mindful of yeah social media and 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 the media um yeah you know they're there to portray particular images or to sell particular products um so um yeah you need again you just really need to investigate those things um which you'll talk about um soon alan um it's all that um we think will be useful for the for the listeners um yeah and then i think just with also with particular um areas of nutrition as well um as we always talk about um and and chris appreciates as well is that there can be individual you know there's individual responses individual variation um so it may mean that you need to do a bit of experimentation within reason um provided everything is safe um that that you need to start to learn how you and your body responds to um to those particular uh nutrition things that you're trying out but um yeah did you want to talk about the tool that we think would be would be useful yeah yeah absolutely so this is um a tool that uh, actually at, at Monash, when we teach uh, an elective unit on nutrition, so these are people who are not studying a nutrition degree, they just do this extra nutrition unit on the side. So they could be uh, doing an IT degree or a psychology degree or a science degree or something like that. Uh, we had all sorts of people come through this, uh, this little unit that we have. But one of the very first things we teach in that is uh, evaluating information about nutrition and how to spot credible information or not. Uh, and this is a tool that was developed by uh, the University of California, Berkeley. Um, and we might even put a link um, on social media to it because you can, you know, it's, it's a publicly accessible tool. Um, and they talk about sort of six main points that you look through when you're looking at information to, to decide or make some sort of judgment about whether you think it's credible or not. So the first one they call authority. So who is the author? Who has written the information or, or is speaking the information or, you know, depending on what format it's in. Um, so they think about who is the author? What else has that author published or, or written? Um, what communities or contexts do they have expertise in? Do they represent a particular set of worldviews? Um, do they have some sort of authority in that particular area because of, you know, research that they've done or experience they've had or something like that? Um, all of these sorts of things we can think about. The next one we think about is the purpose. So why was this information created? So I think this really comes back to a lot of what Chris was talking about uh, and also Tim Crow mentioned last week as well. Um, think about, you know, if there's a bit of information out there, why is that information out there? So someone's obviously gone to the effort of creating that content. Why have they created that content? So in our case for this one, Steph, we really enjoy doing these interviews with people. We um, get a lot out of them ourselves. 
and we want to share that with people. So um, that's kind of why we do the podcast. Obviously, you know, as Chris mentioned, some people will be creating social media posts because they're being paid as an influencer to do that, for example, or someone's posting something on the web because they're um, it's it's on a um, nutrition product website, and so they're representing that company and that brand. Um, so think about why was it created, and, and obviously everyone is going to have a motivation. You don't just create something because you're bored and you create something. You do it because you know you're either paid, like you're employed to do it, or you're trying to sell something, or you're trying to um, get a particular point of view across. It doesn't always have to be financial necessarily. What that motivation is. Um, publication and format, so where was it published? Was it somewhere that's particularly more credible or less credible? Have a think about that. Um, relevance, you know, how relevant is it to the particular question you're asking about? So if you're talking about you know, hydration uh, and they're talking about what happens in, um, let's just say, you know, the military, for example, well, that might be relevant to you, but uh, how relevant is what the military does to the sort of exercise that you do, for example, or clinical, you know, people talk about oral rehydration solutions, or these are the ones that are used in hospitals. Well, that's a different type of dehydration to what occurs in exercise, because the method of dehydration is different, just as, as one example. Uh, the date of publication, is it up to date? Is it out of date? Uh, how old is it? Uh, bearing in mind that, you know, there are aspects of science that don't change that often or that quickly. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a problem, um, that it might be a few years old. And I think sometimes people take this criteria a, a little bit too far and assume that, you know, if it's not, you know, less than six months old, it's, it's out of date. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, but you need to know if there's newer information that's come along since. Uh, and then finally, documentation. Do they cite sources and references and studies for these sorts of things? Uh, are they making claims without any kind of um, backing from from that scientific perspective as well, um, and as sort of Tim talked about in his session, you know you can cherry pick and and just pick out one study here or a study there to try and prove a particular point of view that you have. Uh, but have they looked more broadly at all of the evidence across a particular area, whether that's using things like systematic reviews, meta analyses that sort of combine all the studies, or have they just looked at you know these are all the studies in the area and some found this, but some found that, but on balance. This is the, the general message that's coming across. So if you put those sort of six things together, if you're researching a particular topic in sports nutrition, you can probably get a, a reasonable feel for the, the level of BS that might be involved. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that will be a really good, useful resource for people. So yeah, we'll put a link up um, there somewhere that people can access that. Um, and uh, with this episode again just um if you're wanting to listen to um future episodes we're up on all um social media uh so instagram facebook twitter um and then also on the all the um popular podcast um platforms as well yeah absolutely love to hear any feedback from you again suggestions if you've, you've got an episode that you want to uh uh, hear a particular answer to a particular question, we, you know, we'd love to hear about that as well. And, and obviously, you know, if you want to leave us a, a review or rating um, on Apple Podcasts as an example that they, they have that, um, you know, we'd be, be thrilled to do that. It helps, um, you know, spread the, the message and, and get the podcast out to more people. So that's always a, a good thing to share the, the, the stuff and the interviews that we've had on here. Yeah, 
And so for the listeners, our next topic is going to be... Yes, our next topic is one that um, you spend a lot of time talking about and researching, Steph. And in fact, our guest, I'm talking to her right now because you are going to be our guest <laughs> on the podcast next week, Steph. Um, obviously, yeah, you're doing your, your PhD at the moment around gut issues. So our question next week is going to be, why do I get gut issues during exercise? And it is obviously a, a common one for a lot of runners, cyclists and triathletes, but particularly it's more the, the ultra endurance of the Ironmans um, for, for triathlon and the ultra runners uh, and even some cyclists who do, you know, um, you know, race across America, 24-hour mountain biking, those sort of ultra-distance um, cycling events as well. Um, that can be a big issue for them. So, yeah, I'm going to be grilling you all about it, Steph. Uh -huh. I'm sure I can grill back to you too, Alan, because you're involved <laughs> in them too. So, yes. um, yeah, it's great. Um, we all love working together and we all know that we've got, you know, different sort of um, – skill sets that we can um, use from each other and um, yeah that's I think what makes the team so great to like we've got we can just take from each other um, and then um, formulate a good plan for people so yeah it, it'll be fun looking forward yep. to it yeah absolutely all right well I think that's done uh, or us done for today, Steph. So I yeah. think we'll sign off there yep. and look forward to, to chatting to everyone about gut issues next week in episode 7A of The Long Munch. Awesome. See you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.